but my I would my favorite TV shows. If you asked me what's my favorite TV show, I probably would have said like The Simpsons or Game of Thrones or Archer. But I still haven't watched the new season of Archer. It's like a year old. Yeah, I mean, there I didn't watch it. Yeah, and then I was rewatching The Simpsons, and then I'm like five episodes into episode into season two, and I haven't watched in weeks. And I have not watched House of the Dragon in like a week or two. But on Tuesday, I found out about the new season of of what is actually my favorite show, and I got so ex- I got so excited that I like I it's all we watch, and now what I know it? Love is Blind. It's oh actually my favorite God. show. Oh my you guys God. I was joking, but it's actually my favorite show. I don't look forward to any show like I look forward to that. But why though? Like it's it's fake. But I, the, I, this I am saying this coming from a person that like watches The Bachelor and believes in love, and I just find Love Is Blind. I'm like, it hasn't worked though. Except for Lauren and Cameron, who are except for Lauren and Cameron. Um, yeah, but I don't care. It's such a, it's. I just love it. It's just great content for me. I don't know. Do you know what? I'm glad. I'm actually glad. We all need like something that's good in this world that we like watching. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's all I have to say. I'm very excited about season. Three. That's funny. When's the season coming out? It's already the like the first half of the season is out. Oh, I'm like sick. on episode four yeah, or seven that. or something. I don't think it's my favorite show though, but I'm still excited to watch it. I fully recognize that it's like dumb and that it shouldn't be my favorite show. Maybe, but I really like it. You know? All right, let's do this. Sounds good. Okay. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Writer's Group Book Club. We are a group of authors actively honing our craft while encouraging each other and our audience to just keep writing. We each have a project on the go, so we take turns reading each other's newest drafts and discussing them here. This this week we'll be talking about common writing advice and my book, Milkweed Monarchy. If you would like to read along, you can find some of our latest work posted over at patreon.com slash wgbcpodcast. Okay, so common writing advice. I was thinking about um, what I wanted to talk about this week, and there's a lot of little ones that show up over on uh, like Reddit writing or um, world building. If you're a Reddit person, you definitely probably have heard all of these. Um, so I want to bring up some of these little pieces of advice and uh, kind of talk about them. Um, I, I've sort of ordered them on, on which ones I believe are valid and which ones maybe are not so valid. Um, cause I know Lance loves my, uh, list of six items that are in order. Um, so anyways, first one, and this one is, I think the most valid, it's our catchphrase, just keep writing. Um, that's very much made fun of on Reddit for being like the one piece of advice that you can just always say whenever you want, when you're talking about writing is just keep writing, but it's true. Like you're eating the elephant one bite at a time. You have to, you know. You can always sit down and write your chapter. Jess, this maybe is your catchphrase more than any of us, but you want to give us your take on that? My take on that is that you maybe it's better served up this way as a huge cliche, but you have to take steps in a marathon and writing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And Every foot in front of the other, every page you write, every word you write is one step toward that finish line. And so, yeah, unfortunately, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. That's what Stephen King says. And um, 
he's actually correct. One of the cheekiest pieces of advice I've gotten is um, when I was in a group and someone asked, like, how do we get published? And the person was literally like, the publishing agent was like, well, finish your first draft. Right. Because so many people don't, right? So when you get to that point, like Lance has said in the past, you become part of a very elite group of people that have actually finished the first draft of a book, right? And and that puts you in this smaller category, which in some ways, not all the time, but in some ways makes it easier to get published because, you know, you've actually done the thing, right? Um and so, yeah, I guess if I if I could harp on about that, those are kinds of the kinds of things I would say. It's cheesy, but it's true. Or why, why do you think like? Because it's very teased at on the Reddit that just keep writing is like whatever, such a cliche piece of advice. Probably because people will say it so much, and like it is kind of obvious. Like to be good at anything, you need to practice it. So might as well make fun of it, you know? It is very obvious. Yeah. Hmm. All right, next one is, um, oh, maybe you have an uh, uh, opinion on this one, Lance. Starting your story too early. Or maybe, like, I think this would include a flashback. So if you, if you, the idea is, like, you're supposed to start your story where it gets exciting. You don't, I, my big pet peeve, actually, this is a pet peeve of mine for movies and stuff, is when uh, the story starts with, like, the alarm clock going off like the writer that's when you start making decisions like you should have made a decision on when to start that story and you by choosing like when he wakes up in the morning like you basically didn't make a decision i think it's a fine line for starting you want to start as the action but you also need to make it so that the main character it really seems like they have a real life because when the when the plot hits them then you need to make it seem like you're actually disrupting a real thing that actually exists. But you also don't want to bore people with like three hours of them working at their desk, right? Um, so I think it's a fine line. I mean, like like in Star Wars, how long is Luke actually on the farm doing farmer stuff before the plot hits him? Not very long, but you still feel like it's his real life, right? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Would you say that's overstated then? The starting your story too early? Like, can you have um, some lead up? No, I think it's, I think that, like, especially for a first draft, I would try to get started with the, well, I would just, I think it depends. Like, in a first draft, I think you can take as long as you want to get into the action. Just know that you're probably going to end up either deleting or heavily condensing that stuff at the start that's prior to the action. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. I'm, I'm not sure where it falls on my rankings. I think I got to hear the rest of the uh, the rest of the items. All right, uh, Jess, this one I'm not even going to explain. You can take it away. Uh, the show don't tell. Another classic. Oh yeah, this is the classic, and I think people get confused sometimes because yes, you can do both in your story. I think it becomes very obvious, like a very obvious writing kind of like mistake or like amateur mistake when you're doing too much of one or the other, you know? Okay, a mix of both. Yes, exactly. Because it's nice to tell the reader sometimes um, and just be straightforward with them. Like, for example, 
this is like a very common one. Like he said, she said, they said. That term, use it all the time. You don't have to be like, she giggled or he scowled or you don't have to be so descriptive or like showing all the time when you're writing dialogue, right? You can be very to the point. However, sometimes it's nice to have a nod in um, your story to like showing and not telling. So like I talked about a few weeks ago, how instead of telling the reader, the little boy really looked up to authority figures um, or people he perceived to be his heroes. He just threw his super cape, superhero cape on. That's a great example of showing and not telling. I, I, I've had E.T. on my mind because, Pat, I'm going to talk a little bit about E.T. when we get to your Ooh, uh, story. Because uh, something in your story just rang a, rang a bell to me. But when I was taking a writing class, we talked a lot about E.T. Because my teacher considered it to be one of the best written films Um of our of our time and Steven Spielberg is actually a great director who shows and not tells us a lot of things and kind of trusts his audience to pick up what he's throwing down right and in ET you don't see ET for a little while right you see him in comparison to like the other aliens um but you don't see him in comparison to another human. Um, so in order to get the feeling that E.T. is really small, he is showing you the perspective of what he's seeing around him. So like how tall the trees are, how big the bunny looks, you know, how wide the world feels to him. When we're first introduced to a human in E.T., we're introduced to them at the... Um, buckle level of someone's pants. You get the idea that he can only see to a tall, like, adult person's buckle right so that's an example of showing your reader or you know your audience something very important about the character while not telling them and it's it's an art and it's hard to achieve and it's one of those things you do through reading and and studying the craft like we're doing but I would say show not tell only becomes a mistake when you're doing too much of one and not enough of the other so it's okay to have a balance in your book I, I agree. And I think the issue with show not tell is that if you take it if you take if you take it too seriously, you'll only show. And showing takes a lot totally. more words. And it can be boring. That's the mm. other thing. And I think that like for a really impactful scene, there can be stuff you really want to show, right? But I think for lots of stuff you just want to move the story along. So sometimes you do have to tell, and I think that's fine. I think like Jess said, a good mix is probably most appropriate. I don't think telling is the end of the world. I would say um, Twilight probably showed too much. It showed too much. Enough. <laughs> I really, really would. <laughs> I would say, but I would say a book like, you know, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code told us way too much and didn't show us enough, mm. right? So it takes a deft hand to figure it out. But hey, you know, authors have their styles and, and it works for some people. So yeah, it, that's a fun one, Pat. Um, next one's for you, Lance. Uh, and it's boring your reader. So People get concerned about lengthy bouts of narration or or telling often as part of it. These are kind of linked, I guess. And they think that that might bore their reader. Uh, anything you have to say about that? Absolutely. I'm The number one thing is for me, which I feel like I talk about every time, is I ask you if you're bored. And I'm always scared that you're bored. Um, and then you usually reassure me and say it's not boring, which is great, which is great. 
but for sure, um, well, even showing too much in a book, right? It's all words. You can't use it like a movie where you can have show something cool while, while stuff, other stuff is happening on the screen. Um, so you only get so many words per line. So I think either showing too much or telling too much can get boring. And then, you know, when I think about prologues or the start of a book, the way I kind of see it is you can either have it be confusing because it's going to be awesome, but you're not going to explain anything right off the bat. Or you can have it be boring where you're going to explain stuff, but then you're explaining stuff instead of doing stuff. And this is not always true. Tons of good authors can nail this and have an intro that's not boring or or confusing. But uh, for someone at my level, I feel like I kind of have to pick and choose if it's going to be boring or confusing. Uh, but definitely, I agree with that. You know I was going to like that one because I'm really worried about boring the reader. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one that you think about a lot when you're writing. Um, but I, I think maybe think, uh, it's halfway down my list because I think maybe it's a bit overstated. I, I think like uh, yeah. you can overemphasize that. I totally agree. And I and I will also say I think sometimes this is more of like a second draft issue. So if you're worrying about not boring your reader, you probably aren't, I would say. Um, and if you're writing your first draft, just write your first draft. And then if there are issues with that, with the story and the pacing, because that's usually where these issues come up about whether whether or not it's boring, your test reader or like your beta reader, whoever will tell you when you're making that second draft. So yeah, that's don't don't get so hung up on the writer's block about whether or not you're boring your reader. Just write write your shit, talk your shit, and then see what your friends at book club say. <laughs> For sure. Uh, next one is uh, word count. I don't know, um, Jess, maybe you know anything about this in terms of publishers, I believe. Like if your fantasy novel isn't 120,000 words, then you'll never get published early. That oh, I don't think that's time. the case. I think it's if you're over 120,000 words, they won't even look at it. You know, because okay. it's too long. So Very it de- it really depends on who you're pitching to. Like, you would never pitch a romance novel to a publisher that was over 100,000 words. Which is why a lot of the self-published content I've been seeing recently are very long romance books. Because I guess now there's a market for, like, long-form romance readers, um, which is crazy. Um, but, yeah, so it it's very, very dependent on where you are pitching, who you're pitching to, your agent. And, look, like, at the end of the day, people like Patrick Rothfuss get away with 200 K plus words I mean but he's you know a very celebrated author so I I would say if you're looking to publish in a certain genre um, go look at comp titles for the, your book and see what the word count is and I would always say aiming for something a little bit shorter than longer is better because agents don't have a lot of time to read and you don't want to turn an agent off by having a super long manuscript because they would probably just say to you, there's a lot you could cut out of this. Um, so yeah, that that's very, very dependent on a lot of other factors. But the best advice I could give anyone listening about that is to look at like your comparison titles and, and see if you're fitting the genre word count. Okay, that one maybe is more valid than I expected. Um, I thought people were just 
looking for more uh, reasons to not be writing by searching up how long their book was supposed to be. Um, I, I think that's something that you can mostly fix in, in revision as well. That's true. Uh, the next two are kind of silly and I don't, I, these can't be real, but um, actually you mentioned the said one. So I put this one slightly higher uh, saying things other than said is against the rules on Reddit reading or writing. And uh, L Y adverbs is another strange one that pops up. Oh a lot. yes. Both two. I, I break. I breathed hugely. Yeah. I'm smiling hugely right now. <laughs> Anyway, you know, I don't know. Break listen, <laughs> Stephanie Mayer still published Twilight with that line in it. Okay, that, this is very subjective. I feel like I'm trying L-Y to call it in general. You can't have them, or just I don't know. That's not a thing. I have a lot of ly words in my books. Um, yeah, it bothers some people. It bothers it doesn't bother other people. Okay. Interesting. I thought that was I don't know. Nonsense. Lance? I'm just finishing up my rankings here. Oh, okay, I have a I have like a that. I have a rankings. You know I love ranking stuff. That's great. So, I think number 1, uh so I'll go from most valuable to least valuable. Uh number 1 is just keep writing because it is a huge cliche, but I mean if you want to get better, you got to practice. So, that's easy. Uh, and then you knew I was going to pick this next. Boring the reader. I think that's pretty important. And uh, even if it's overstated, I, I'm okay with that. Um, not coming in too early. I think that's pretty valid too. I think you should start when the action is. It'll also be more fun for you to write. Uh, next, I think I have uh, show, don't tell. I kind of didn't know because I think this is really valid, but I think my issue is I think that if someone took this too seriously, it could really hurt their writing by only showing and not telling. But I think most of the time people will be reasonable. So it's okay. I'll put that there. And then word count. Actually, no, I'm going to swap that with word count. I think word count's more valuable than that because I, wow. I think you're right. Like didn't expect that. Well, I mean, I think it's more that I don't. Yeah. I, I don't guess know. you got to stay are... within the confines of the genre. Probably it's yeah. not such a big deal if it's like 80 versus 100 in a fantasy, but you have to stay in that zone. Yeah, like if you write a 500,000 word like romance as your first book, like that's, you know, you got to stay in a little bit within the parameters of your of your genre, right? Also, I want to meet you <laughs> if you've done that. If you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also, like, podcast. Open Stephanie Mayer wrote like Twilight is like I think almost 200,000 words or like something insanely long it's quite long like Twilight is way too long way longer than I expected it to be yeah anyway sorry just well, had that- to jump in there and say that if you've written a 500k like romance book we want to interview you well, we want to talk to you podcast at gmail.com Get a hold I of love us. the outline. The ending could be so so epic, right? Because you could fit so many things. Anyways, we're if if you've written that, email us. Maybe that actually is um, War and Peace. Out of War and Maybe Peace, that's already been long. written. It's it's already War and been. Peace is long, and it's a love triangle. Is the whole book set against the backdrop of Napoleon's invasion of Russia? Can we get the author on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is over five hundred thousand words. Whoa. Only with a Ouija board. 
<laughs> we can make and that. also it's if, if we had to Halloween time. If, this will come out on Halloween, I think, actually. Well, I mean, if we actually had to talk to Tolstoy for a long time, I think we'd all just walk off into the woods somewhere. I don't think it would feel nice. <laughs> all right, finish your rankings, Lance. Oh, yeah, and then sorry, I go think, ahead. I actually, you know, I got to redo these because I actually, I think that the said thing is real. Like in Twilight, there was a fair bit of, maybe not that much, but like there's a fair bit of like, she stated or you man know, i do this explained. i say whispered and murmured and answered think, and like i don't think whispered, i don't search shout, for ones. And i think whispered shouted and asked are the same as said because it's not like it's just those are standard words you know what i mean you're not oh. it's not just said but different right oh okay and i don't so think you should not say it. just feel like 80 percent of it should be said asked shouted whispered okay Okay, I can get behind that. Um, and then ly adverbs, I don't know. I use them sometimes. Sometimes I try not to, but I mostly just use them. I don't think I never even made a conscious decision on. I, I I don't know. I'd have to go back and read my book to see how many are in there. I didn't know that was a thing. Same. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for uh, common writing advice on Reddit. Um, I'll do my summary real quick. So we start this part uh, with the King of Winchwick, who we've met before in a previous part, um, King Albert, or Prince Albert at the time. In the very first part of this book, King Albert is executed by Ada Harris. Uh, so we know that we're somewhat in the past. Um, Prince, Prince Albert is in church, and uh, the sermon is interrupted by messengers who relay to the uh, pastor that the king has died and uh, they give him some notes to read to the crowd. Uh, the congregation interrupts the pastor and says the king is dead along with the king and Albert is king. Uh, we skip forward a little bit and Albert is in a mundane meeting with his advisors and ministers. Um, they talk about a few points he doesn't show too much interest in any of the kind of goings on of being a king um there's a couple meetings uh he we, we kind of confirm what time period we're in there's some help needed to send up north he, he sends domestic aid up north to help with uh the famine caused by a major frost event that we've seen from another perspective um following that uh, in the next meeting, the ministers talk about um, coming up with their plan to fly south and getting everyone mobilized for that. Uh, Albert shuts down that plan. Um, his uncle told him, and it's part of their religion, that they don't fly south ever. Uh, meanwhile, or also happening um, back and forth, uh, is Mary Posa's line of the story. Uh, she... In the previous section, uh, her sister has just died and making her queen, and she's hatched from her cocoon. And then um, she tracks down her Tia Anna Maria, looking for her father, the king, and Tia says that her father has died. Uh, we join back to the new king, uh, where he's heading back to his palace and sees his uncle lurking in the garden. He goes and walks with his uncle, who talks about uh, their sort of family history, 
and convinces him to fly south. At the end of their conversation, they're attacked by an assassin who throws a bomb, a parcel with a bomb in it at them. And we we, uh, wake up to find the king's uncle critically injured in the hospital and the king waiting by his bedside. Uh, Next, we pick up with the king flying south, uh, where he's ambushed by Ada Harris's group and ultimately executed. Just before he's executed, though, he he looks next to him um, and sees his father also at the gallows. Uh, So the king had not actually died. Back with Maria Posa, we learn that also the king has not really died and is instead fled south uh, without the rest of his family. And that's where we leave the story. Uh, so I thought this chapter was uh, really interesting and really compelling. Uh, I was very interested. Well, as always, I was I was really interested to read it, and it was really um, it was riveting, really riveting, and a fast read, uh, which I think is a pattern that you've both had this uh, you know this this season, I guess. I'm pretty interested in all the chapters, and I always want to keep reading. So that continued today. I was really happy with that. Uh, so um, I'll go through my notes here. I thought it was a really nice touch that Uncle Robert's devoutness wouldn't let him go south, even for a wedding. Like, he takes the, like, always look north thing really seriously. It was a nice personality touch. Um, So I think what you're trying to show is that the ruling class has forgotten why they don't fly south. um, And that now they're obstinately staying north, even though the cold is coming. Uh, I really like the part where you said, this is talk that brings the cold. Uh, That was... I feel like that's something that the King Albert would say, you know. Oh, I have some. I said that too. Sorry, oh, just yeah? jumping in to say I loved that line. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then I thought that this, we really get, I feel like King Albert is a real person. And I actually really like the character you've built here in a really short amount of time. Like, we, like such short amount of time. But you build a really good character. Like we see he's going to reallocate the milkweed from the South people. So from the milkweed that's getting shipped South to go North. And I get his motivation. He's like, well, the people that stayed North are true to us. And the people that went South are like deserters. So we're going to ship that grain North instead, but it's not, but he's not, it's not, he's not doing it out of cruelty because he found out, he knew that people were deserting for like a week and he didn't cut them off. He only cut them off when it became like a resource scared scarcity issue and someone else would need that food. So I thought it was a nice touch because we see he's not just like being petty or, or something. He's actually, he's just at some point there's a, there's a, a limited amount of milkweed and he's got to decide who's going to get it. Uh, so I really, I liked his motivation. And I thought that really, um, that's how I saw it, at least. Um, I had one one thing I think you need to fix. Because at one point, Uncle Robert says that the reformers from like many months and months and months ago believed that some sh- chosen ones should go south, but not all. Most people should stay north. But this, this seemed kind of new to King Albert, who seemed to think that Everyone should stay north all the time. Uh, so I think you can fix that with like one sentence, but either I'd like a reason for why King Albert thinks that or why the uncle uh, does. Well, the uncle, it seems like the, well, like my gathering was like the uncle says, well, you know, 
the reformer said that like some people do need to go south the chosen ones will go south um and that could be that should be you and you should go south whereas up till this point we've just seen king albert be like nobody ever goes south period so i'll tell you where i'm going and maybe like this was written in my head and i didn't but i want the like the old religion to have like saints and the new religion to not but then he's basically saying like well maybe some of those saints are aren't so bad after all but maybe i didn't put any of that in and i need to put it in i don't think you've mentioned that i definitely didn't but i i didn't know if i needed to yet i'll throw it in Uh, i don't think it's a big issue i think you can just leave it and we'll fix it later i don't i think this is like a typical one sentence thing okay Uh, just one thing i noticed so um i thought it was a really nice touch that King Albert, when he flees south, wouldn't mourn publicly because it would slander his uncle. It would shame his uncle to have a ceremony, like a, a, a ceremony further south than his home church. I thought that was a really nice touch. You're really tapping into the um, their 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 religion, and it 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 colors it. I think it makes it, it does a good job of that. Um, I was really shocked that Tia and Maria basically sacrificed her own grandchildren. That was pretty crazy. Uh, I thought the parallel between Maria Posa and Ada Harris's speech was really powerful. And I think you did a really good job. I think the time jumps, really cool. You know, I like time jumps, but uh, but I thought that was really cool. I really liked it. Uh, we know there was a, the, there's a thrown explosive, right? And then later on, we see the pebbles dropped from the sky, right? And that's supposed to be like, like that's like another like type of weapon, right? I think for me, the idea of an explosive versus like uh, the pebbles being dropped from the sky, I know what you mean, but I think you should call the pebbles something else. So that sounds a bit more modern, kind of so it fits the uh, fits like in an age with explosives. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, maybe not though. I mean, maybe I'm just maybe that's just me. I so like I didn't plan this at all, and the pebbles was just what I used in the first part. I can sew that together, make them the same thing. Sounds good. Um, and then at the end, his dad, the the old king, his dad is still alive. That was really cool. Um, so I think, and then my other thing was, I really like the character of King Albert, which I've already said. But like in the intro, he's just the greedy king, right? Like in chapter one, he's the greedy king and Ada Harris overthrows him. But now we kind of see like, oh, I almost feel bad for him because he didn't want to go south. He he isn't going south because he's a coward or because he wants to abandon his people and survive and let them all die. Like he wanted to stay and he basically fulfilled his his closest family members dying wish to go south, which he was uncomfortable with. And obviously, like the mechanics of him doing that are really bad. Uh, But I thought it really colored his character. Uh, So I thought you did that in a really good way. And that's all my notes. So I thought this was awesome. And uh, and thanks a lot. And good job. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I had a moment like when I first started reading because I was like, oh, this is like a familiar character. And I actually had, had to go back to the beginning to just remind myself because, you know, we're getting these sections um, over time, right? So we're reading the book like once every three weeks. So it did jog my memory to go back. But I think the effect will be really good when it's one story or like when it's all put together, which it is already. But, you know, for us, uh, 
for us people that are reading the installments, you know, um, I think that'll have a really cool effect, Pat, when it's it's all put together. Um, I actually said that this feels uh, very familiar to me, the storytelling um, in this. So I really liked this section. Um, I think especially, I know it's not quite YA anymore, but from a YA perspective, it gave me like Redwall vibes, like you've talked about as an inspiration for this book. You know, I think monarchy is a theme or concept in literature that we can all really understand because so many stories that we read um, are like the coming of age narrative, the transition to like from old to young, um, the transitions between crowns. So yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed the dynamics between the king and his subjects. I thought um, what Lance was saying also rang very true to me that in the beginning, because I reread the beginning, he is like this greedy king, this very unsympathetic character. And what you do is you sympathize him with him because I think, and I, I'll just jump into it, but I think it should gives us a good example of how to write like villainry or the antagonist because the antagonist in your story is actually not any one person. It's an ideology or an idea or uh, the staunch refusal to change or to be able to change or to see the signs of change coming and and not being able to react to it. And I think in literature, this is like a very clever thing to do because it's hard to write believable good villains. I always get in shit for saying this, but I'm going to say it that, you know, I don't like characters that are like the Joker from Batman. Um, I just think like people that are, are, or characters that are just wanting to watch the world burn, like they don't make sense to me because they're not rooted in reality. However, this type of villainry is very rooted in reality and we see it all the time. The the evil of quote unquote ideology or, you know, um, people basically willing to wipe themselves out because they believe a certain thing, even though it's not actually what's happening. Um, so yeah, so this like became very real to me. The the ET tie-in um that I wanted to bring up was from again that writing course I took where my teacher talked at length about this because she had a problem with how modern day villains were being written as well. And, you know, if you go back and watch that movie, it's a very similar thing to what's happening here in Pat's book because the evil people are, you know, the government agents coming in to take ET away or to figure out, try to figure out what's going on. And, you know, from the children's perspective, the adults are evil or hold on to all that evil. However, you know, from an adult perspective watching that film, you're like, of course we need scientists and the government and people to get involved. This is an alien from another planet. You know, it sucks for ET and for Elliot and at the end of the day, everyone does the right thing and E.T. goes home. But can we really say they're evil because they're doing something they believe to be right? No. And in a way, it, it makes everything a little bit more tragic. And so I thought it was just – it just reminded me of that. And so very much well done. And I'm very happy that was a thing that happened in this book. Thank so, you. Yeah. Um. Okay, so it also seems like the story is now working toward its climax. Is that correct? 
Um, like we're kind I'm of like coming to the end. A third of the way in. Yeah. So okay. yeah, the next little, yeah, we're getting there. Okay. Um, we're gonna, the next one you stay, take a step back actually. Okay. I think another great thing that's happening in this book is that the themes and issues are the same. So like the issue of everyone needing to go south, that's true of all the butterflies. However, we're seeing it happen from like varying perspectives in like different parts of the world. Um, and so that's like another really cool thing. I, again, I'm on the Spielberg kick, but this is a theme that's explored in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where they're going all around the world discovering like why these aliens are coming to Earth. And it's so effective and it's very effective to to um, to the reader here in this book as well. Um showing different perspectives and how classes are reacting to this news. Um, it just gives the story like another level of d- depth. So well done. And also for me, yes, I liked the character of King Albert. Um, however, I thought the character Maria Posa really came alive here. And as a reader, I'm very happy to see her finally kind of fulfilling her destiny. And we're getting to see that character arc actually happening. Um, because last time we were in your book, her older sister died. So now she is like stepping into this role of of leader and, and change maker. So I feel like the character arc is happening for her too. So that was very exciting. Um, I thought the writing was very good, um, very evocative. Um, your characters have different tones and speak differently to one another, um, which is another mark of great writing. Um, you know, you can tell uh, who a, a cleric is or um, a member of the church is by how they speak. Um, you can tell that King Albert is religious and has certain beliefs and ideologies from how he speaks to people. Um, also, uh, very he speaks very true of his rank as king and, and leader. You know, he's uh, he doesn't mince words, but I feel like he, in for the most part, is respectful and kingly in, in his addresses. Um, so I thought that was really good. And um, yeah, just one suggestion moving forward. I think if we make a map... It might help me visualize where all of these places are. Did you make a map, Pat, for Lance? I'm I, I drew actually. one for Lance to make for me. Okay. I just I was just thinking of that because um, I was trying to remember where all the different characters are at this point. And um, yeah, that might be a suggestion for the future. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I enjoyed reading it. Well done. Well, thanks a lot. This was a hard one. And this was another one where I could have written, I wrote like, this one's a little short in my email. I could have wrote like, not so sure about this one. But uh, it seems to be that we get the best feedback when we send something we're not sure about. I know. Why yeah. Why is life like that, eh? It wasn't obvious at all that you weren't feeling this 100%. Or didn't think I had was. the idea. I knew what I wanted to write, but like, yeah, it's tough to sit down and do it. You just got to keep writing. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think, yeah, and again, we, we, I've said this before, like, I think you have uh, really, really, really good dialogue, and all your characters have different voices, which is really, um, which is awesome. I think we could all, like, it's, that's really, really, yours is really good in this chapter. Just absolutely right. Do you think I need to ever address Maggie or Buck again? Do I need to involve them in the story going forward? Well, I think like you gave them like a lot of like quote unquote screen time. So it might might be nice to like wrap that up as well. But like they don't need their own chapter again, I don't think, right? 
like obviously um albert is dead now so i don't need to bring him back in um i didn't kill the other ones yet i don't think you need to give them another viewpoint um Ah. yeah i don't really have anything else to say i tried to make him very bureaucratic and like i was doing um i was trying to make him like stubborn but everyone kind of just goes along with his bad decisions so he doesn't really like how much culpability can he have if no one's correcting him i i didn't see him as bureaucratic i also like obviously we know that his decision is bad because winter's coming but this is something that last happened like 10 generations ago it's not it's not that crazy that he wouldn't believe it's going to happen right so like I didn't see him as um, like obviously he's making bad decisions and stuff, but I don't feel like it's like an uneducated huge mistake. Like he doesn't. Maybe someone he, could have talked him out of it though. I mean, his uncle did. No one else tried to talk him out of it. That's true. Maybe that's something like in a revision, you might feel like we can have one person like actually try to talk him out of it, and then maybe he like sends him to the. Oh no! I didn't want to make him like that. I just wanted him to like not have the opposition like i intentionally didn't include it because i wanted to be like well the system is kind of also responsible for this mistake okay i like it then it's perfect it's perfect any games for us today jess i do have like a one star review let's do one star then okay well one just says alleluia i'm done never have to read this book again (laughs) can't Um, guess from that though yeah okay the bible halfway through and i don't even care anymore i'll read the synopsis for the rest if i wanted to read about such <laughs> what is this if i wanted to read about shiftless rich people and their drunken machinations i'd read the hollywood reporter or tmz my thoughts characters less than engaging i could give two cents for all of them all right maybe five cents for narrator but that's about it ultimately depressing and boring did not finish. Why this is still required reading, I simply can't fa- fathom. I have Machinations a of rich people. Drunken rich people. Drunken rich people. Machinations. Okay. Do you have a guess? Uh, I do, but I don't think it's right. Uh, Could we get one more clue or one more review? Yes. I didn't like it. It might have to do with me not getting to the not getting the point of all these narrations with trivial details, but I didn't. At first guessed at first I guessed some of the details would be of use later on in the story, but I was wrong. None of them mattered. As I had read some of the comments and analyses of this so-called fabulous story, I realized some have focused on the hopefulness of the main character. Hope I get it. It's one of it's always been one of my strongest suits, but it can be easily mistaken for foolishness. Hope is what we all have got after all, but believing everything is going to turn out the way you desired or imagined and absolute awesome optimism can be really dangerous. It might get you killed as it did in this story. However, at one point, it was shocking, depressing actually, how main female character and narrator let main character take the fall for them so easily and went on with their lives as if nothing changed. Some years ago, I wouldn't believe such people exist, but today I've met them myself. So it is all part of our realities. Wow. What a bitter review. 
Um, All right. Have you changed your guess? Or are you still the same guess? No, I, I don't. I think it's wrong, but I, I have a guess. But I think it's wrong. Okay. I'm, Who's I'm guessing going first, Great Pat? Gatsby. Lance, what are you going to say? I was going to go War and Peace. It is actually The Great Gatsby. Oh, I got one. Nice. <laughs> because it's required reading. <laughs> it required reading again. Yeah. I liked The Great Gatsby. I haven't read it. So. Short read. I don't read. remember. I think I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big old Baz Luhrmann movie you can watch about that. It's like two hours long with Leo DiCaprio, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Nice. Who's not? Nice. I'd watch that. Yeah, I watched um, Romeo and Juliet recently, and it's so good. We watched it in class. The uh, the 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 modern one in California or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so freaking good. Anyway, there you go. That that was that was my. Um, you know, Netflix watch of the week. And uh, yeah, if I'm watching Romeo and Juliet unprompted, you know, I just, I, maybe I just need like a, a hug. Yeah, a week. I'm, I'm going to get a hug from my husband after this. <laughs> all right. Well, good to places, Eddie. That's all we have for today. Uh, if you want to do the homework for next week's episode, you'll be able to find some of our latest work over on patreon.com slash WGBC podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to just keep writing. Awesome. Good job, guys. Yeah, Solid. Good one. Are we movie club next week or is it Jess? We could do me. Um, we could do movie club. I'm down for whatever. Well, if you've got something, let's do you and then we'll we'll save movie club. Yeah. I've written about like 3,000 words, so I'd like to get another two done before I send it to you guys. So hopefully nice. I can do that over the weekend. Sounds good. I haven't started yet. I'm getting into this bad pattern where I don't write for like a week after I do a submission. Welcome to the dark side. That's okay. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, but like you have a you have a child, you know, you have an excuse. What you am do I doing? Have an uh, she's in bed by seven. There's not that big of an excuse. I could write. 